the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. There's no better place for sports fans to go to get everything you need from all the greatest writers, male or female, in the business. I am constantly retweeting these people. I am reading every morning something brand new, not even in the major sports. Sometimes I'm clicking over to some of the more ancillary sports because they're covering it all from betting to fantasy to everything. Soccer right now with the Euros being as interesting as they are. Uh, All the drama and broadcast in terms of sports TV and radio and things like that. They are all over it. They're all over everything. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track today. Get yourself 40% off your first year subscription. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy Wednesday. Hope you had a good holiday weekend. We took some time off here in terms of the podcast. Just kind of did our updates. Enjoyed some family time, some fireworks, some camping, some boating, all that good stuff. Of course, we're back at it now and just in time for franchise tags for the NBA finals, of course, and then leading directly into the NBA offseason where Keith Smith has been doing phenomenal work, breaking down some previews with every single team, financial previews for the offseason for every single NBA team. I think he's got six or seven up there now. It's one big piece where we're collecting all of these together so you can rapid fire read through all of Keith's Keith's thoughts per team cap projections, tax projections, uh, you know, opt-ins, opt-outs, free agents that could walk, contract extensions. He's just crushing these things. Super in-depth by team. We'll continue to update that over the next month, of course, as the August 6th league year is right around the corner. I mentioned franchise tax. That's where I want to start today. So the situation in the NFL is you can tag a player in February, You have until July 15th to extend that player to a multi-year contract. Otherwise, he is locked into one year for that upcoming season. Now, that one year can be restructured. That one year can be traded. You can still trade these players, but that player cannot play on a multi-year contract from here out after July 15th. So we're about a week away from that being the case. And, you know, some of the names that got franchise tagged, there's some interesting discussions to have around them quickly, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of rapid fire run through these seven players who have not yet gotten off of their tag one way or another. A couple of wide receivers, Allen Robinson with the Bears. I thought for sure, A, he would never sign that tag, or B, he would sign it that demand a trade out of there because you have to sign it to get traded. I mean, this Bears team was in rough shape heading towards that winner. They had a hell of a draft. Let's just be frank. They had a hell of a draft. Okay. Justin Fields changes things for that team, even in the immediacy. Maybe not till next year, maybe not till 22, 23, when these rookie quarterbacks start to find themselves two or three years in. But, you know, it's no longer a situation where Allen Robinson won't be featured with a quarterback who can get him the ball. A, Andy Dalton, even if he's the, you know, four weeks, the starting quarterback, like it sounds like he might be. That's a guy who's been able to get get wide receivers open. That's a guy who's been able to make A.J. Green a future Hall of Famer. He's made a couple of other players look really damn good in simple offenses, in offenses that aren't really good enough to win at all, even a playoff game, but enough to get guys production, which is what Al Robinson wants. He wants to be treated like a number one wide receiver, and eventually he wants to be paid like one as well. With that said, I think the almost $18 million tag is just about right for Allen Robinson right now. He's going to make more than that at some point. But I think with the situation the Bears are in, like I said, it was a mess to start. It has gotten to at least peaking interest. And I, I'm, I'm guessing Allen Robinson's interest has peaked as well and his agent as well. I'm guessing they want to see how this goes, 
right? Let's see what Andy Dalton does initially. If that's sustainable, probably not. If not, let's see what the kid can do. Let's see if this kid can can become a big time passing offense quarterback. And if so, is this the exact spot I should be in for the next four to five years at 20 to $22 million a year? Because that's Allen Robinson right now. Okay. He's not under 20. He's Keenan Allen. He's Julio Jones money. Okay. He's Amari Cooper money. That's where he is right now. I don't think he's all the way up to DeAndre Hopkins yet in terms of the pay, but it's going to be somewhere in between that 20 to 24 range, probably ending up around 22 million per year. I just don't think if either side should be doing this now. Now the bears are probably trying because this is a heck of a player, but Robinson's probably good on the one year because if it's bad, he's got control to get out. If it's good, that money's still going to be there. He's not too old to the point of where he won't get this money. So my guess is no extension for Allen Robinson, and that's player warranted. Chris Godwin probably wants to sign. Okay, he probably wants a long-term contract with this Bucks team, who signed everybody, literally everybody, back from last year's successful season to give it one more run. My guess is with a situation like Godwin, it's it's exactly that. Let's give it one more run. That's how Tampa Bay is thinking because. They need to figure out a where the Mike Evans train is going, where the Chris Godwin train is going. You know, let's see one more example of that to make sure a health can be sustainable and b does he have a good place? He sort of was feeling his way around this Tom Brady offense at times. And look, Brady's ruthless. If he doesn't have an, an immediate connection with you, or if he doesn't trust you in certain situations where he's maybe thinking one thing and you're thinking another, the second you sort of lose that relationship and that trust with Brady, you're out. You know, you're not going to get those targets, those looks. It's just how he operates, and it's not terrible. So I think he needs a year to figure this Tom Brady system out uh, before the Buccaneers say, "All right, you know, you're a legitimate number one A or whatever it's going to be in terms of wide receivers. We'll pay you accordingly." You know, he's an 18 to, to $19 million player in terms of our evaluation, but it's because there's so much around him. So there's tight ends all over the place. There's, there's you know, slot receivers getting a lot of targets, and certainly Mike Evans gets his targets as well. My thinking is, and, and this might not be terrible for Godwin either, similar to Robinson, let's let this season play out. And it's possible I can even overstep my role above Mike Evans, in which case his contract is actually movable after next year, I could take what's depleted from that contract and turn it into an extension of my own next season. I say no contract extension for Chris Godwin as well. But look, 18, 19 million a year is probably about what it's going to take. So if it gets done, think about that for the numbers. Brandon Scherf, guard for the Washington football team. This guy probably would have been signed 18 months ago, but it's injury after injury after injury. He's in that sort of rut right now. He's a hell of an offensive lineman. The guard money has soared, okay, upwards of $16, $17 million. It's probably 18 now for a brand new contract. Uh, you know, Joe Tooney's money was way up there in terms of guarantees as well. Center money's up. Left tackle money's obviously over $22 million a year. Excuse me, you know, over $24 million a year. Right tackle money is now Ryan Ramchek's $19.2 million a year. The whole offensive line has come up big time. Scherf is on an $18 million franchise tag, which is, you know, it's his second tag. So that's what it's going to be. It's probably about right for his multi-year contract. Now you can say maybe a little less than that. Take a little discount because you're coming off the tag going multi-year with guarantees. You know, I just think, you know, he should easily get above five for 80, which is what Joe Tooney signed. He should easily give himself 50 million guaranteed. 
is Washington in a place where they're ready to do that? I don't know because the quarterback situation is so in flux. You know, they've got great receivers. They added a receiver. They've got three or four running backs who should be able worth a damn. Logan Thomas has an adequate tight end and the defense is outstanding. Maybe one of the top five in all of football. So the rest of the roster is sort of there. Here's my point. Here's, here's the way I look at this usually. It's never a bad time to pay the offensive line because even now an adequate Ryan Fitzpatrick quarterback can can overachieve if he's got time, if he's got flexibility, if he's got ability to read his reads. I I like the idea of all right, we we patchworked, we we just extended our left tackle, you know, we moved on from Morgan Moses, we did make some changes here. Scherf has done enough. We'll we'll secure ourselves with you know, injury protection in this contract if we're going to lock him in long-term. So I think it's something like $85 million over five years in terms of of an extension off the franchise tag. But, you know, he can easily get to $55 million in guarantees, but only 30 of that's going to be guaranteed at signing, right? Only two years fully guaranteed because we just don't know if this guy can stay healthy. If he's healthy in three years, we're happy to guarantee that. But let's see how this thing goes sort of year by year. So I think that if Sheriff's going to get a long-term deal on this roster specifically, he's going to have to concess a little bit in upfront guarantee at signings. I think it gets done, by the way. I think this one does get done. Marcus Williams and the Saints. There's room now. They just extended Brian Ramchek. Uh, they did make some movements. They did extend. Uh, they did restructure some things all over the place. It's uh, you know there's 11 million in change to work with. And that can be added to if they extend off of this $10.6 million franchise tag for Marcus Williams. Um, He's not a second tag candidate as a safety. That just doesn't really happen. Um, Jamal Adams is probably going to break the safety bank at some point. It would behoove the Saints to get this done before that happens because that could happen at any point in time here. Justin Simmons at 15.25. That's the current number. That's Marcus Williams' number. That's the target. I mean, this is just that kind of guy, where he was drafted, what he's done. There just isn't really a, a situation out there where he shouldn't be a top of the market safety. So better to do it now than when that safety market is 17 or 18 million because of what Jamal Adams is going to have to be owed. So I think this gets done, and I think it's probably right around that Justin Simmons number. Taylor Moten, speaking of right tackles, Carolina Panthers, uh, Ramchek's deal is very, very good news for this. The $13 million franchise tag is value. There's not much in terms of you know dollars signed on this Carolina roster. They've done a lot of, of shifting around, a lot of maneuvering, especially at the quarterback position, of course, with Bridgewater now out, Sam Darnold now in. That you know That's a two-year process. So do you want to slow play Taylor Moten and maybe double franchise tag him? I think that's possible. I think that's very possible because now what Ramchek has done is kind of broken this market. I mean, you're talking about a near $20 million contract for for right tackles. You know, Taylor's a good one. He's a really good one. But, you know, I, I don't know if this one gets done. I really don't know if this one... Because the free agent market, right? Jack Conklin, with what he did when he hit the open market and went to Cleveland, was only $14 million a year. Three for $42 million. So is it a better value to let these guys go onto the open market and then try to sign them back or sign new players of, of his you know stature and hope you can maybe get a little bit. I know that's backwards thinking for agency shouldn't be cheaper than extending your own, but sometimes letting the guy walk and letting the rest of the league value a player works out for you. 
That may be the case here. I wonder if there's not a double tag situation for Taylor because of the situation the Carolina Panthers are in as a team. Marcus May, it's a similar situation. Safety, um, $10.6 million franchise tag. Uh, look, there's a lot out there. You know, and the free agent safeties didn't get paid super, super big money. John Johnson, I still think, was incredible value for the Browns. You know, Jamal Adams, like I said, is about to reset this market. Justin Simmons, the $15 million and change. Marcus Williams will approach or pass that mark. So you're talking $16 million a year. But that's not the kind of player this is. That's not what this is. Marcus May is probably valued properly on his franchise tag. And I know that's a low number. But... Can you get him done for $12 million, two years fully guaranteed, you know, $24 million fully guaranteed up front? Can you get a guy who's in a, in a developing team on a, on a defense that's going to be going through some changes here? Can you just compensate him with guaranteed money and not have to break the bank from an average annual standpoint, from a total value standpoint, just to kind of keep him happy? If he doesn't bite on that, I think the Jets are perfectly fine with one year, $10.6 million, and we'll address it next year, either with a second tag or by going and upgrading his position elsewhere. He's a nice player, but I don't think he has much leverage from a contractual standpoint right now. It's a similar situation for Cam Robinson, our final player. Offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jaguars made a ton of moves to sort of get themselves ready and prepped for Trevor Lawrence. It's here. Not only is it Trevor Lawrence, but it's Travis Etienne. There's a lot of moving parts here. Um, you know, Cam has been up and down. Injuries have set in. He was benched at some point. There's just a lot going on with this contract from a player who is selected, you know, very, very high in the draft. Let's put it that way. So what do you do? You know, he's not Laramie Tunzel. I'm not even sure he's Colton Miller who just received a good chunk of change from the, from the Raiders in April. You know, is he Deion Dawkins? Who's more in the 14 to 15 million range in terms of average salary? Maybe that's right. You know, what's okay. The franchise tag. To me, the franchise tag is already an overpay at almost $14 million. So he signed it. He seems okay with it. Uh, let's see how this works with, with, with Trevor Lawrence year one, Cam Robinson in the blind spot. Let's see how this works. If it doesn't go well, you know, there's going to be options out there. This is a team that has some, some trade pieces. They're going to be able to tr trade some future draft capital because this is a position of importance. So don't break your bank on it right now. I don't think anybody in that roster should be considered long-term as they sort of figure this thing out with Lawrence. But I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that they made this move. I'm pleased that they franchise tagged him because of what I just said above. The quarterback was coming. So you, you want as many offensive line pieces as humanly possible, whether they're above average, whether they're elite, whether they're average, just to be able to throw at this thing so that there's as much protection as humanly possible for Trevor Lawrence for your future asset. So I'm, I'm happy we're here. I don't think they need to go crazy and extend him out of this franchise tag. It seems about right. Real quick recap. Allen Robinson's a no for me, and it's his his decision. He shouldn't sign the extension. Chris Godwin probably wants one, but I bet I, my guess is the Buccaneers slow play him for one year and decide on this next year, because honestly, the second franchise tag for him is still about right for his value. Brandon Scherf is a yes for me, but they're gonna he's going to have to take a hit on upfront guarantees if he gets it done. Marcus Williams is a yes for me. The Saints have made moves to make this happen. Taylor Moten is a no for me. I think it's a situation where the team just isn't prepared to, to spend. Similar for Cam Robinson. Both the offensive linemen, uh, offensive tackles are a no for me. And Marcus May is a yes if he'll play ball. 
if he'll take something that's in free agent safety land and not Justin Simmons, you know, if that's what he's expecting, he's going to have to play on 10.6 million. But if he'll come down to earth a little bit and understand, you know, where he started from and where his ceiling may be in comparison to those other players, I think that that that's a contract that can get done for the Jets and Marcus May. All right. Let's talk some baseball with Cousin Dan recapping our first half and where our projections were to start the MLB season. But first, today's edition of the Track Podcast presented by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, dedicated to serving the unique wealth management needs of athletes and top professionals in the sports and entertainment industry. Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment strives to bring sports professionals the financial solutions they need, including access to financing to support prospective NFL and NBA athletes through the draft process. Find out more about Morgan Stanley's pre and post draft loan programs at morganstanley.com slash GSE. That's morganstanley.com slash GSE. All right. The midway point of the MLB season is here. All-Star week is upon us. Essentially, we're uh, winding down the first half of the regular season. So it's time to look back, eat some crow, and pat ourselves on the back a little bit. Cousin Dan is here. He was a part of the preseason divisional win projection totals. He was a part of the free agent series. He was a, far, a part of the uh, the season preview. He's, he's got his name all over this thing. Dan, uh, quick assessment of where we are right now with this season from a team perspective. Surprises? Uh, doesn't surprise you? You know, what, kind of foreshadowing what's to come. Just your general thoughts. Um, not too much specifically. I I think we, uh, nailed a lot of the stuff that, um, you know, we had convictions about early on and, um, yeah, I think a lot has played out how we thought it has so far. Yeah. I mean, obviously the Yankees are a surprise, maybe not as much a surprise to you and I who didn't have them over a hundred wins. Um, but you know, where they're projecting right now is kind of bonkersville. So we'll get there. I want to work similar to how we did our preseason projections, Dan, I want to go back division by division quickly and kind of run through this thing. Let's start out West where we kind of thought it was going to be a dogfight, maybe even in both divisions, one at a very high level, one at a maybe not so high level. We're kind of seeing that sort of. So if we start with the national league, here's the first point where we have to eat some serious crow. Cause you and I, I, I picked the un, under on Arizona, but I still said things like this team could be better than expected. I like a lot of their position pieces. You know, it seems like that they have to go all in because of the Madison Bumgarner contract. Fast forward to today where they're projecting 44 wins. <laughs> you, you, Dan, said that this team should compete with the Dodgers and Padres as the third best team in this division. So not well, we'll start there because that's probably our biggest miss from the preseason. Um this is going to be one of the worst teams in baseball. What else do we say about this team? Are they sellers? Do they even have pieces to sell? Yeah, I would say they're definitely. So yeah, I will, uh, I will gladly uh, chalk that one up as a loss. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, to my credit, I do think everything uh, that I thought could go right from their perspective has gone wrong. Right. So um, mainly I, 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 not to, not to hinge everything on one player, but I really expected a Cattell Marte breakout this year. He's been injured most of the year. So that's uh gallon injured. Yeah. Nothing's gone right, but look, they're, th- they're going to, they're going to win 30 less games than the projection. That's, that's nuts. So everything clearly has gone wrong for that team and they have, they have paused operations essentially. 
Um, the rest of this division is fun. I mean, even the Rockies, the, the Rockies are going to be over, Dan. We both had them under because it was fresh off the Arenado trade. You know, they're, uh, they're over under with 63 and change. They're, they're projected to win almost 70 games. Uh, if they kind of stay on, if they don't sell, which now it sounds like they won't, it sounds like John Gray and German Marquez are not, you know, are, are not going to be moved. Maybe Blackman has moved. Maybe story is moved. And that changes things a little bit, but that's to me, that's a team that surprises me. Not even worth talking about. Let's get to the top of this division. Um, the, the San Francisco giants are projecting over a hundred wins right now, Dan, I, tell me this is sustainable because I don't think it is. I'm a little skeptical. I mean, good for them for being where they are at this point in the season, but a lot of that hinges on this career year from uh, Kevin Gosman and uh, some bounce back from some other, you know, unheralded pitching candidates. So um, I I don't think it's sustainable, but they can definitely hit the ball. Um, But not a whole, not not a not a very dynamic offense, if you know what I mean. Kevin Kevin Gosman and Jake McGee as the front, you know, the, the headliners for their front and back end of the rotation, just doesn't seem sustainable to me with this division. But if I have to move on quickly here, Trevor Bauer may be done. Clayton Kershaw was just shelved on the IL. You know, so many of these other position players. Corey Seager has no timeline to return. Is this thing real? Is the Dodgers go? Are they are they going down, not up right now? I mean, there's really no other way to look at it, right? I mean, um, I, I think not to jump the gun here, but I think that this is a lot of the reason why we went under on their it's exactly what projection. you said. It's exactly yeah. what you said that injuries, it, COVID, it, something was going to happen to this superpower team to, to to knock them back down to earth. But it's even worse than that. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it was a historic number. What was it? 102, I believe. 103.5. So, <laughs> exactly. So that that's basically count. I mean, just to, any team to win 100 games is pretty insane. So for for the betting line to start there um, above 100 is uh, is pretty incredible. They're, so that, that's exactly what we said. They're to win 99. So it's not like they're dogs, but everything's against them right now. Yeah, absolutely. So um, uphill uphill climb the rest of the the way, but the, the team is deep. That That's one of the yeah. reasons we liked them at the beginning is because they could sustain, um, you know, some of these setbacks and um, we'll, we'll see if, uh, if they're able to, to put that into action here. Can I, can I ask you a stupid question that I know they have Corey Seager. I think he'll be back maybe, you know, September ish. I think that's probably what I'm hearing now. The, are they all into the point of where they go and get one of these other shortstops? I mean, Seager's up. Seager's a free agent. Do they go and get a Trevor Story, uh, Javi Baez, one of these players, just to rent them for four months and plug and play to try to make sure that they win this division? It, it seems unlikely, but the fact that they were seemingly in on the uh, Lindor talks in the past, right. I, I, I don't want to rule it out because it, it it makes me think that they think that they can upgrade there. And um, that might be one of the obvious spots at the moment. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't rule it out. So it's the Padres. That's sort of the team now, right? I mean, if is, it, I mean, that's the team that's going to be chasing down the Giants without question. Do they have enough? I mean, this team is it is what it is. Is this the team that can chase down this division? And are they now the favorites, even though the Giants are you know steadily ahead of them right now? Yeah, I think they're definitely. Um, I, I mean, that was a team that sort of came into the year with a lot of injury questions and they re- the, the Tati scare earlier in the year was, uh, um, 
you know, could have been a game changer for their season, but I, I think they've um, weathered it pretty well. Uh, a couple pitching, uh, starting pitching hiccups here and there. So um, I, I think they definitely have the pieces right now to, um, to catch that. I pass. do too. I, I think they're slow playing this thing. They're going to, they're going to peak at the right time and go AL West. Super interesting. Texas is a disaster as we projected. Uh, they should easily be under. We had them as under the angels. I think we were, I, you know, I, I know you said that they probably did enough to at least get over the hump. And I was, I agreed with you. We both had them over. They're projecting just under that 83 mark right now. How do we feel about the angels, Dan? That's an, it's a polarizing team with Otani and the trout injury. You know, when he returns, can this team then maybe take a few steps forward? I, I don't see it. And a lot of it is because of the pitching staff, um, which we, we were kind of concerned about. I, I do remember saying that I liked them better um, than the field coming into the year, but really none of that has worked out either. Um, so, um, I mean, Bundy has been, Dylan Bundy has been a mess. Um, Quintana has, has been underwhelming when he's, when he's been uh, healthy. It, it just, it, it, it hasn't worked out. So even if you bring back, I mean, that's really saying something. If you bring back Mike Trout and add him to the probably current MVP in Otani right now, that it, they don't feel real close to me. I agree. And Rendon can't stay healthy. It's just a it's a comedy of errors with this club. They just cannot figure it out. It's, it's really sad to see. Seattle has figured it out. This is a team that was projected at 73. We both wanted this way over. We both would have put real money on this one. They're projecting 84. You know, they're not a playoff team, but they're getting somewhere, aren't they? Yeah, I, I like the youth movement they have, and there's a couple uh, prospects in the queue that are right. are within the next year year plus. So there, I, I had liked, um, you know, I had liked them as a possible year away team um, earlier in the year, and and I stand by that. I haven't seen anything that scared me off of them. So, Houston and Oakland were very closely linked in terms of win projection totals to start the season. There, there's about an eight eight win gap now heading towards the midway point in terms of Houston really holding down the fort. I asked you just a few days ago what you thought of this A's team. You know, was it sustainable this year? They have made the postseason the past couple of years. They're a 90-win team the past couple of years. Uh, it's been a lot of because of the home run, which I, I'm not sure that's a big part of their game right now. They seem to have slowed in that department. Uh, the pitching is hit and miss. It's young. It's kind of underdeveloped. But... I don't know. I mean, they could win 90 games and it could mean nothing. Is that kind of how you feel about this team? Yeah, that's probably a good way to sum it up. It's, it feels like purgatory. Like they, they have pieces to make a run, but they're really going to have to kind of put it all together at the right time. But yeah, the pit, I mean, the pitching staff is solid, but has some questions, but I, I don't, yeah, they just it, lost. It's Rosenthal not a team that particularly excites me. No, that's probably right. Although those teams tend to sneak up when you come August, but I don't think that'll be this team. If anything, they may slip down, not up. Um, all right, let's get to the East, which is just fun. The Mets have been holding on for dear life. I don't know how the the, the walk off wins seem to happen every third day. You know, Degrom is somewhat human the past couple of starts, but other than that. You know, they're the class of this division, whether you like it or not. They're they're projecting eight wins better than any other team in this division. Is that sustainable? And you can bring every other team not named the Marlins into this conversation right out of the gate if you want, because I think all four of them are probably as close as they can be. Yeah, it seems like really no one wants to take that division. There's been, uh, you know, especially when the Mets were were 
running out a minor league squad at, at one point when they were so when they were so injured. Um, really, no no one stepped up in this division. So um, yeah, I I think any of those teams are just kind of waiting to make a leap. But in, until you really see somebody do it, I mean, the Nats have been red hot um, lately, but now some injury pop up there. Um, so yeah, it's really the Mets division to lose um, at this point. I think you you still agree with that because I'm. Um... Here's how the Mets, I think, get over the hump and actually get this thing to the finish line. They they either make it an acquisition, which it doesn't sound like is going to be the case. That doesn't seem like what this organization is ready to do. Or they get Carlos Carrasco and or Noah Syndergaard back when we when they say they're coming back and they become essentially deadline acquisitions that, that allow this team to have the depth to get over the hump. It's possible that's what they're hoping for. Whether or not that happens to me is everything because I think the Phillies will make a move. I think the Braves will make a move. I'm not sure the Nationals will make a move. They they are probably waiting out Steven Strasburg's injury to see what that's going to mean. But um, this this division will be aggressive. There's no question. And if the Mets aren't, they're kind of hoping on a prayer. <laughs> so that's how I see it. That's how I see this whole thing unfolding. To me, it's still the Braves' division to lose. It was theirs before the season. They are projected ten wins less than the Mets right now. But a lot of things can happen. It's a there's a long summer ahead of us. The ALE stand, here's the one we definitely got. <laughs> we absolutely got this. Um, the Blue Jays are trending. The Boston Red Sox have been the class of the division from the get-go, and they are not looking back. They're projecting 100 wins right now, Dan. 100 wins. The Rays are the Rays, similar to the A's in my opinion. We both kind of were down on them because of the, the moves that they made this offseason. But uh, they're going to win 90, 90 games again. I don't want to. I don't want to sit here in the trash the Yankees too much. I really don't. Um, what is this division going to look like in six weeks? That's a good question. Um, I mean, let, let me put it this way: Do the Blue Jays have enough? As it currently stands, I'm a little worried about their pitching. Okay. Now, whether whether they add a starter or add a bullpen, they're in my opinion they're lacking in in maybe both of those areas. But I'm not sure that they can address both of those, um, you know, reasonably in the next you know few weeks here. So, but offensively, they can hang with any team in the league. I, I mostly say this thinking, you know, with the mindset once it comes to October, you have to have some sort of um, solid pitching staff in place. You can't, you can't just try and, you know, hit your way through, um, through October. So yeah. I, I think that's right. They're one pitcher away, but that's it. In my opinion, that's it. I mean, they've already made a bullpen acquisition. I think they're a starter away. Can, can the Rays get it done? They, I, I ah. it's interesting, right? Because they're, they're the same old Rays. They're built weird. They're winning games weird, but they're winning a lot of games. I mean, it's not like they're overpowering anybody. Yeah, they're a home run hitting team, but to me, they could go toe-to-toe -toe with the Blue Jays right now. I'm not sure they can get to Boston yet. I think Boston is really deep, but I, they, they should be able to catch this Boston team if, if they have the right streak, I think. Yeah, I think... so. I, I lean against the Rays making a major move, and I mostly base that off the fact Me that too. Wander Franco, that Franco, that was Wander Franco, yeah, and and Vidal Bruhan now this week have both come up, who are two of their their better prospects, and it seems like they're trying 
to hope that they can make a move internally. It's the uh, White Sox from last year, right, dude? Where they where they brought up these prospects a year early to, because they kind of had lightning in a bottle, right? And maybe it is a year early still, but they're going to try with that approach, right? Right. And, and, and the team like the Rays, who are so fiscally responsible, I mean, like even down to not giving certain guys right. saves opportunities because they want to save money in arbitration. <laughs> um, it, it makes me it makes me think that they wouldn't have started the service time clock on those guys if they had another yeah. move up their sleeve. But maybe they have a move in conjunction with those moves. But um, I'm a little bit skeptical that they're going to make a splash just based on the organization. And, and they really are deep with a bunch of arms. They, they just don't have the, the stud types that, um, you know, you, you think of it a high end, high end rotation. You so. and I both had them kind of coming down to earth this year a little bit. Uh, we didn't love the number. The number was 86. We both went under, um, but we we liked that it would be that it might get close. They're projecting 93. I wonder if it comes down to about that 86 mark. I, I wonder if this is a fringe wild card team at the end of the day, uh, because you're right. They're kind of patching this thing together with a lot of youth, which is really hard to do down the stretch. It's that's just a really hard way to win. In other words, is this Boston's division? I don't think either yeah. of us love this starting pitching. I don't know if they have an. I mean, it's Matt Barnes and sort of Adam Adovito. Who else is 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 going to, you know, be the guy down the stretch for this team, Dan? <laughs> I <laughs> on paper I this team looks like an eighty win team, you know. So the fact that they're going to win a hundred is incredible. Yeah, I I totally agree. They've caught me by surprise, but I don't I don't have any reason to. Um, you know, think, think it's going to fall off at this point. I mean, they're, they're deep in a lot of different areas. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think it's theirs to lose at this point. Okay. Let's flip over to your AL central. Your injury Indians were projected at 81. They're projecting 83. We both had them over. How are you feeling about your, uh, your team there, bud? It, it's really a miracle. They're even <laughs> worth on pace for where they're at right now. I mean, uh, they, I mean, I say that kind of tongue in cheek here because they made so many moves that, that seemed counterproductive to um, a team that would, you know, is seemingly trying to win. But um, I, I can't believe with all the injuries they sustained, um, you know, pitching hitters, they're, they've been running out some really <laughs> questionable lineups recently. So um, the fact that they're even here um, is is kind of a blessing, I guess, but um, I, I I expect it to fall off a bit here. Yeah, the, the White Sox just look like the class of the division. Yeah, I think it's fake news. I think it's fake news. I think at the end of the day, there, there's going to be a big reality check. I think a lot of these wins, a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of the success that the Cleveland Indians have had have come at the benefactor of a bad, this is a bad division. I mean, I mean, the twins are going to be 20 games under their projection, more than 20 games under their projection. They're a disaster. Uh, I, I liked the Royals, but I thought that 73 and a half was about right for them. They're going to win less than 70 in terms of current projections. They may be sellers at this deadline. Detroit, they're going to go over like we said, but they're not even close to contention yet. They're just, they're, they're an improving team who's not even close to ready. That's exactly how we labeled them. That's what it is. So the Indians are, they're, they're sliding backwards. They're just not a disaster. You know what I mean? They're they're holding serve in certain areas. If Bieber is able to come back, you know they're going to win three, four extra games. That's just how it's going to work. But you're right. There's four starters who are are long term injured on this roster. That's not sustainable with a a small market payroll and a team that is in, not in a position to be aggressive at the deadline. So 
probably not good news. It's the uh, it's probably too late to do so, but I would absolutely have money on the White Sox here the rest of the way. It's a 95 projected win team, which is you know fourth or fifth in the entire major major leagues right now. So that's the team to watch, no question about it, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the the Twins are. I mean, obviously they're way out of it now, but they we. A lot of our question about how good the, uh, the White Sox record would end up had to do with uh, where the Twins might end up. So You're right. um, them falling off a cliff here it gives uh, some more wins to the other teams in the division that we might have thought um, were going to kind of be a little bit lower than they are at this point. So the Twins have been hanging on for three or four years now. You know, fringe playoff contenders, fringe division contenders. You know, this is a fall from earth here. This is not the Indians' gradual decrease. This is a complete rock bottom. Are they going to act like it at the deadline? Nelson Cruz, Jose Barrios, are, are they out? They, I mean, I think they should be, but it, it, a number of their core players are still signed for a, a few more saying. years. So, you just blow it up? I, I mean, I don't know if you need to blow it up or if you just, you know, subtract the correct guys and try and you know, make a run in the next two years, but even, even two years out from now, it, it's going to, you know, they're going to have tough decisions to make. So it's, it's kind of like, you keep trying to patch thick. Yeah. Patch that's the question together. I'm asking is this, you know, knowing the Cleveland's coming down, maybe Kansas city's coming down, you know, but the white Sox may be a juggernaut here for half a decade, quite frankly. So it's always interesting to think about what other teams in the division can do when something like that happens. I mean, the white Sox are, you know, that's not a short-term success <laughs> if, they, if they play their cards right. So something to keep an eye on at the deadline for sure. That division is interesting. Speaking of, the, of which, this NL Central is yikes. The Pirates are the Pirates. I think they're going to be over, Dan. It was 58 and a half. They're projecting a little over 60 right now. They, if they sell their closer, if they sell a pitcher, if they sell uh, Brian Rent, whatever it's going to be, then it's going to be bad. It's going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to hit that mark or maybe be under, but that, that's really not something to, to talk about here. Cubs, Cardinals, Reds, Brewers, just give me your thoughts. Uh, I mean, it's, I mean, it's pretty much the Brewers. The Brewers are red hot. They, we talked about it coming into the year. We liked the line. We liked certain parts of the lineup, thought they had one of the better pitching staffs. Um, in the league, which actually turned out to be better than we even thought a few months ago. So um, Cardinals, I just, I don't see it long-term um, lasting, but it, I, you know, the Jack Flaherty injury was, was pretty sizable, um, things like that. So um, yeah, I think it's the Brewers. The Cubs have pretty much fallen off the table. We, we talked a couple weeks ago um, about what they might do with the trade deadline. I think it's, I mean, they've lost what eleven in a row. I think all by one run or something like that. As uh, as of when we're recording this, um, so I think they got to kind of look in the mirror and understand that that they should probably be sellers. This is probably clo- uh, let me rephrase that. This, what we're seeing lately is probably closer to who they are than what we saw in the first in the first uh, you know eight or ten weeks. The Reds and the Cubs both have significant pieces that could be moved at the deadline. I mean, that could that could be two of the more aggressive teams in terms of sellers. Do you expect it now? Or should the Reds hang yeah. on? No, I, I mean, I, no, I think, I, I mean, I, let me rephrase. If one team, I, I could see the Reds hanging on a little bit longer than the Cubs could just because of the size of the market. They have, you know, Cassiano, it's a bunch of offensive pieces together. 
Um, but I mean, the, the staff is just not, I, if they genuinely self-assess and think that that staff is going to, you know, be able to compete throughout the rest of the year, I, I would. It's also the worst to. time to try to trade Luis Castillo because he's garbage right now. <laughs> I mean, you're getting absolutely nothing back. You're getting pennies in the dollar for that guy. Well, well, I will say he, I mean, he, he has bounced back quite a bit, even since when we talked to, um, you know, a few weeks ago, yeah, the deadline, around the trade right. deadline stuff, he, he's been better since then. I, so I, I think what we can kind of said, you know, warm weather as the season goes on, he typically tends to get better, but yeah, I, I don't disagree with you that the, that the value for them, um, is probably not there, but I think he'd be a great ad for, for a team looking for an out. I think that's a team that smells second place in that division and likes it. And they're going to hold and they're going to try to tr- try to get as close as possible to that Milwaukee team. And uh, if they got to make moves, they'll do it in the winter. The, de- the deadline moves are, you know, pennies in the dollar, generally speaking anyway. So I, I think that's a team that holds. I think the Cubs are going to be fun. <laughs> if this thing continues, I mean, you're going to have guys like, like Baez and Bryant saying publicly, get me the H out of here. Truly. I mean, if that's the case, because they know they're not getting paid here. So let me, let me have a chance to go showcase somewhere else so that I can make as much money as possible wherever it's going to be because it ain't going to be Chicago. So I think that's going to get fun pretty fast here. That's a, this is a bad time to, to nosedive like the Cubs are doing, but that's the team to watch. There's no question. That is the, uh, the preeminent trade deadline roster. Who, who am I missing? Is there, is there a team out there that we didn't really get to talk about enough about, Dan? I mean, should we talk about the Yankees here? Isn't it obligatory? <laughs> Um, sure. I mean, I don't, it's, they're really in purgatory right now. I mean, not only in terms of where they are at the standings, their current roster and financially, they they have a lot of tough decisions coming up here, I think. And, and you can just see it in Aaron Boone post game, post game conferences. They're, they're feeling the frustration internally, in my opinion. So they're either, I think they're going to be eager to make a move, whether it's to make, making a move to win or making a move to to kind of reset and and really take a look in the mirror and see what they need to do better going forward. I don't know if they know how to fix themselves. I don't. I, I agree with that. And developmentally, there's not a whole bunch there. I mean, they have some higher-end prospects, but you know, as a whole, they have not been an organization that has internally developed talent very well so that that's another aspect of it you know we comparatively we see the Dodgers who have seemingly unlimited payroll similar to the Yankees and they're constantly loaded with high-end prospects so um yeah I I don't know what the answer is for the Yankees but it's it's not pretty right now it's not pretty I'm not sure it's fixable within the season I think it's a lot more than that um you know, they were banking on, and one of the things we said in our projection pod, Dan, was, you know, Corey Kluber has to be a veteran pitcher. He doesn't have to be a 25-win pitcher. He's got to be a veteran pitcher for this team. And he was really starting to turn into that. He was really starting to turn into the perfect number two for this team before that injury hit. I mean, obviously, they know hitter and things went down from there, but... Uh, that's a gigantic loss. I mean, you can't have Kluber and Severino and Zach Britton and a couple of relievers behind him and Clint Frazier and Aaron Hicks in your outfield on the IL and expect things to just go smoothly. The the problem is their starting nine is kind of still intact. I mean, every, they're, they're healthy now. You know, Judge has been healthy, knock on wood. Glaber Torres has been healthy. He's just been bad. And he's making errors all over the place at shortstop. He's not even close 
to the top three or five shortstops that, you know, could be getting paid over the next 12 to 18 months. He was, he was near the top of my list because of his age, his defensive ability. I don't think any Yankees fallen farther than Glaber Torres in the past 12 months. And I can't believe I'm saying that because he seems safe. So that's just too many holes to fill. It's like, it's like trying to rebuild the New York Jets right now. It's going to take time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you, you've got gaps at every position right now. I'm not going to be able to do this at a July 30th deadline. So I, I, I have to say this, cause, and I've been trying not to say this, but I've watched a lot of Yankees baseball. I think the easiest answer is just to fire the coach. I, I was just going to say it, Mike. The more you speak that out, um, really the offensive pieces are there. Where are you going to try and upgrade in that offense other yeah. than maybe down your depth with like a Clint Frazier or something Andrew is not getting communicated. You know what I mean? Like right. defense, I, I mean, the pitch- base running has been a friggin' nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. And sh- really though, shame on them for going into the year, relying on Corey Kluber as a number two and Jamison Tyon as your Fair. bonafide number threes with no questions asked. Right. We did talk Fair. about this. If, if you're slotting in Kluber as like a, maybe this guy works out number five pitcher, then that's great. But if you are relying on a guy coming off of a year plus of, of injuries, um, you know, shame on them for, for rolling into this year with that. So it, I, I, I would tend to think that they make a move for a, a starting pitcher um, and, or they fire the coach and try, you know, hopefully things turn around. I don't know if they make any moves. I really don't. This, this entire team is basically under control for next year. Um, with the, with the exception of Kluber. So I, I, I don't know what, I, I think you wait till the winter <laughs> and you go big in the winter. Once you give yourself time to really evaluate the rest of this process and understand, and look, we're going to talk about it. Part of that process might be moving on from Aaron judge because what other chip n- now that Torres has fallen, what other chip can even get you anything? Nothing. N- nobody wants, I mean, you know, unless you're trading Garrett Cole, which that would be insanity in my opinion, even though you know he might be a shell of himself now, all things considered. That's for a different conversation. But uh, it's a really interesting team, and I can't talk about it enough because it's, it's an important team to Major League Baseball. We're heading towards uh, a contract negotiations in terms of the league. And the fact that this is happening, that the Yankees are a 500 team, fourth in their division, is just, just bad for the game. So... Uh, I think they just kind of pause and and let this thing. I I do think they fire Aaron Boone at some point, and then that'll be it. It'll be it'll be a fresh set of eyes, a fresh voice in there. Maybe they can make a late run that's you know close, but no cigar. But this is just a bad team to watch. I've watched plenty of them, so that's a, probably a good spot, good spot to finish before we make this too negative. Let's talk about players the Yankees didn't sign <laughs> because. Uh, every, every midway point, I like to look back at free agency, Dan, and kind of talk about some of these players that have just, they've just panned out immediately worked out either on a new team or back with a current team on a different contract. Um, we've gone back and forth a little bit. I've made a list here. Let's start with the starting pitchers. Let's start with a couple of these players that the Yankees probably should have signed. And I'll start at the bottom. Robbie Ray was, was linked to the Yankees. He was linked to pretty much every AL East team. He wound up in Toronto he was injured out of the gate. He got he kind of gradually progressed himself back into this rotation. And now he's been very important. And he's a very, very important piece for this team down the stretch if they're going to make a run. Uh, the Yankees missed on this one, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, no way to get around it. Here's my five starting pitchers. Carlos Rodon, Trevor Bauer, Di Sclafani, T. John Walker, Robbie Ray. 
five best free agent starting pitcher signings of the offseason, according to me. Any any thoughts there? I mean, obviously the borrow ones, <laughs> you know, gonna be a problem from here out. There's no question about it. But he was great. I mean, he he was great the, the, the first half of the season. Any 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 names there hanging that you may maybe you want me to reassess in a couple of months? I, I know the Giants maybe fall off here. You know, Walker's been ridiculously good for the Mets. I don't know if that's sustainable. Same with Robbie Ray. It's just you know, it's this is kind of how the class won. It wasn't a great class, but they're getting some pretty good production here. Yeah, Robbie Ray has almost turned into the ace of uh, that rotation because Ryu's taken kind of a step back right. this year. But um, the guy I was originally wanted to talk about was was Walker. Um, I mean, I, I don't really need to say it's you, but where would the Mets be without him in this rotation mm-hmm. at this point? Um, and, and and you, especially if those other two guys come back around, you know, at, and they sort of see that as a trade deadline acquisition, you kind of don't really care what he does the rest of the year because he has been such a stabler stabilizer and kind of kept you guys in it um up to this point so for me he was sort of written off he kind of came free um no there was very little interest in him um despite some pedigree uh, as, as right. sort of a high-end prospect in the past but um yeah i i think he would probably be my favorite um you know pitcher of the group obviously guys like carlos rodan but um I don't really blame teams for not having a lot of interest in him. They're again, another high pedigree type prospect, but he had really struggled up to that point in his career. And this year was a major breakout for him. So I, I don't, I mean, teams should have been more willing to kick the tires on some of those guys, but I, I don't want to necessarily kill them for not, you know, pushing their chips in on Carlos. It's just incredible. The Yankees got none of these guys, Dan. It, to me, it's yeah, incredible. Absolutely. And, and that's what I mean when I say like they, you know, they found comfort in Corey Kluber and Tyon as like, you know, prime pieces of their rotation. It's just and, so, and it's that, so that, lopsided. It's, it's just so nearsighted to say we're good. We have enough pitching. Nobody has enough pitching ever, <laughs> ever. And for that team with that lineup to say we're good after signing Corey Kluber and Jamison Tyon and acquiring him, it's just so reckless. It was reckless in April. It's crazy reckless now. No, you know, being able to say it with facts and stats. I, these guys weren't high, highly, you know, outside of Bauer. Bauer, of course, was the the prize. Everyone else is three to five to six to seven million dollars. I mean, these are these are small chips in terms of free agent signings. The Yankees should have dominated the the bidding war for these kind of players. So it, it, I don't mean to be crapping on them too much, but a team that was projected to win over a hundred games and, and their deficiency is starting pitching. And these kind of players are being successful elsewhere, especially in their own division. It's just unacceptable in my opinion. It's, it's just too much money ball from the, one of the biggest teams in the, in the league. Here's the relievers on my list. Give me your favorite acquisition. Mark Melanson, Liam Hendricks, Brad Hand, Jake McGee, unbelievable. And Ian Kennedy. Uh, well, I mean, value-wise, the Ian Kennedy signing looks genius Bonkers. right about now. And they're um, going to get a trade but, chip over it. They're, they're going to be able to trade yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Um, otherwise, I mean, how, how do you not like the Liam Hendricks signing? I, that's exactly what that team needed. Um, you know, he, he joined a, a stable of bullpen arms that maybe weren't really fit for the closer role, but are, you know, throw gas, and um, they're pretty deep there as well. So. I thought that was like the perfect marriage right there. As soon as I had heard that that was a possibility, I, I thought that was uh, super interesting. And and he's just been lights out. He struggled the, maybe the first two weeks of the year and has been pretty much lights out ever since. So um, yeah, I like I like that signing a lot. 
Such a money ball indictment, you know? He gets three for 54 for Chicago. He leaves an Oakland team, which was as good as Chicago last year and just wouldn't wouldn't shell out that kind of money, wouldn't put multi-year guarantees on his back. Uh, you know, Oakland could sure use him right now, especially with Roosevelt now hitting the shelf. So that's that's just how this game works. That's why there's a very big imbalance between how the top three, four teams look and the bottom 20 teams look, unfortunately. Here's my, uh, here's my position players. I don't think there's any question that Marcus Simeon is the position player prize of this free agent season. He has, he has held an, an injured young Toronto team basically on his back for quite a while here. And now that he's got some help around him, he's not slowing down. Everyone else is just getting better around him. That's why this Toronto Blue Jays team is making a run. It sounded, it seemed like he was a bit overpaid on that one year deal. It was basically like a qualifying offer contract. It's brilliant, right? Maximize the guy, let him come and play ball, let him show these kids how to play the right way. And, uh, you know, if they don't think they need him or can afford him now long term, he now has the greatest one year showcase and gets paid well. It's basically a franchise tag to hit pre agency again next year and be a preeminent option. Yeah, I think he's definitely earned himself a multi-year contract next year. Um, with that organization? I feel like, even with even I with Bichette like and Biggio there, Dan? Yeah. And that's the thing. There's some. There's even some guys behind that, some infielders behind them as well. So I, I feel like they wouldn't be the team to give him that deal, even though he's earned it. And I would, I would guess that they feel the same way. I just think teams in roster construction going forward, um, they would probably be unlikely to be the team to give him a multi-year deal, but I definitely think he's earned it at this point. I mean, he's put together a number of really solid seasons and, um, you know, there, there's been some lulls there, but as a whole, he's been, he's been great. I wouldn't let him yeah, walk. Yeah, easily the best signing. I, I wouldn't yep. let him walk. You, you, you can control all of those young players' salaries for three to five years. I mean, you don't have to pay Vlad. In fact, Vlad's probably not even asking for a contract right now, knowing his agent. Same with Bichette, same with Biggio, same with many of those players. It, to me, this is... this is it, Let's pay that guy. And if we end up to a, to a point where we do have too much of a surplus or we have to pay somebody else now and, and his contract is in the way, we, we, move, we move pieces. But Toronto's not exactly a small market. They shouldn't be considered that way, right? No, and I, I don't disagree. I just think that the fit there would be more of like a one-year high-salary type deal rather than a three- or four-year deal that another team might be willing to give. Them. I get Just you. because of where they are. Um, but yeah, no, I, he's, he's well-earned it. I, I'm not here to argue that, that's for sure. Kyle Schwarber had an unbelievable run. He is one of the reasons the Nationals are back in this conversation in terms of the NL East. Not sustainable, and he's going to be a two hundred twenty, you know, a two twenty batting average player soon again. Still a nice signing, late, right? I mean, one of the players the Cubs decided to move on from, just flat out designated. This was a kind of a no brainer for Washington. Yeah, again, he's. <laughs> He's always been sort of a streaky hitter, even in yeah. Chicago, but, um, you know, we've never seen anything like this before. Is it going to be sustainable? Probably not, but um, he's, he's earned a good chunk of his value, I think, in the last two weeks here. So, Michael Brantley was too old for many of the other teams to sign, so he winds up back in Houston to kind of cover the uh, the George Springer hole, the uh, Josh Reddick hole. He's the same old Michael Brantley, Dan, the, the guy you grew up with in Cleveland, the guy who Cleveland gave three to four chances because of injuries, ended up winning a batting title. He's the same player. He's a little bit older, a little less power, but he is just as good a hitter in an era where being a five to a player is kind of boring, <laughs> but he's proven us wrong. I mean, that's he's the big reason the Astros are where they are right now. 
Yeah, absolutely. He's made a lot of people who uh, wrote him off a few years ago yeah. after what uh, they thought were chronic injuries uh, look pretty stupid. So, yeah, he's he's as steady as they come. Great leader in the locker room. Um, I definitely miss him on my team, but good for him for, uh, you know, getting to this point in his career. So last guy, the oldest guy, Nelson Cruz. We talked about him when he was unsigned this offseason, heading toward the season. He winds up back in Minnesota on a one-year deal. He's still mashing, still being pretty efficient at the plate. He is a DH. He's limited in where he can, he can go. Will he go, Dan? I don't see why they wouldn't yeah. trade him. But, I mean, that that's me. It's a re- reasonable money to take on the rest of the year uh, that they – I mean, for the production that you're going to get, I should say, but so I don't necessarily think it's going to have to, you're going to have to be like dealing money back and forth uh, to even things out. So I I don't know why he, you know, would stay there. I'm sorry. I don't know why the team would hang on to him um, and let him walk for nothing when they could maybe just add a prospect to their system. And uh, also, I don't know why he would want to hang around there. He's in the twilight of his career and he's, he's still a a top performer. So let him, uh, let him go somewhere if there's a fit. I smell Red Sox. I'm just saying. I smell the Red Sox. <laughs> Got to push. Hey, right? It's just tough. It's just tough there with uh, with Martinez. That's okay. Like they're going to play him in the outfield a lot. Yeah, that's okay. I think you can get by. It's just a, a bat off the bench, right? It's a big old bat off the bench. Come down the stretch, which they're going to need for sure. All right, last piece. I promised you we'd get to Aaron Judge. You mentioned it on the projection or on the trade deadline podcast. This was your big name. This was your hot stove rumor that Aaron Judge could be on the block in terms of the deadline. I think it's more likely, like I said, that anything happens in the offseason now with the Yankees in terms of player movement. I just got to ask you this question specifically because he's got one year of arbitration left and then it's it. Then it's free agency. Who is Aaron Judge in terms of his next contract, the rest of his career, his position on a team? You know, Is he a preeminent number three, number four hitter. Is he just a home run hitter? Because I have some stats that say everything else has kind of come down a little bit. Is he a great right fielder? Is he all these things? And am I crazy for trying to downplay him a little bit? No, I, I think all of your concerns are somewhat valid, but I will say that I, I think a lot of the negativity that surrounds Aaron judge um, is stems from his questionable injury history, right? Um, On a per game day, I I saw some of the stats you put together in terms of just like counting stats of, of numbers he's put together over the last uh, since 2018. Um, And and he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily rank high in terms of just counting stats, but per, per at bat ratios, he, He's a lead in my opinion. He, his at bats per home run stats, all of that is, is near the top of the league. And really, I think he gets dinged because he has missed a number, you know, like 40 to 50 games for the last three, three seasons, basically. So um, that has hurt him in terms of counting numbers, but um, his, his ratios are, are up there with the best of them. Really the only negative to his game is the strikeouts. Um, but you know, beyond that, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think he's closer to an elite player than he is to, uh, you know, a middling or average player. Now, is he going to hit 50 home runs ever again? Probably not, but, but actually maybe, um, yeah. if he, if he has another healthy year and that, that's how good he is. Usually and I and if pitching somebody, is brought but, down to earth. 
absolutely exactly so um i i I mean so where you want to place him for a contract is is pretty interesting because he really does have a unique skill set that it's hard to to come up with comps for him um he is an above average defender he walks a lot he strikes out a lot he's also almost 30 uh, good point as well. Yes. So, so he is, he was a bit of a late bloomer. Yeah. People thought that, you know, his, his 51 home run year was like when he was young, he was not as young as is perceived. So, um, yeah, so, I, so let's, I, let's start there then. Let's start with the age. Look, the injuries are the injuries. I mean, you're right. It's, it's about 40 to 50 games per season right now. That's what he's been averaging over the past four years in terms of missed games. But, you know, Mookie Betts was 27 when he got $365 million. That's not happening here, right? No, there's there's no chance. So that, okay. I'm, glad, I'm glad you clarified that. I, I think he can earn on average close to some of those guys, but there's no way he's getting like a 10-year deal in my opinion. No, no. I, no. I mean, okay. even if the injury concerns weren't there, I, I don't think he's getting a 10-year deal. But if he is, I'm sorry, if the injury concerns weren't there, he's probably looking at a deal closer to Harper than, you know, see, see no way the median, no way in my, per- Harper was 26. Right. And that, and that's, the but you're right. The, the, and, he had the similar injury history. There's a bit of a, a resume comparison there. The guy that I'm thinking of now and looking at this contract list, Dan is Anthony Rendon. Anthony Rendon was 29 when he hit free agency. He had just won a world series. That's not going to be the case for, for judge most likely. But 29-year-old Anthony Rendon gets seven years, $245 million, $35 million a year, just under 250 Is that possible for Aaron Judge? Or is, does even that seem high? No, no. I think, that's, I think that's high. You do? So is he not one of the, one of the 10 best hitters in baseball? W- what is the number? Is he top 20? Yeah, is he top 30? I, I, I comfortably feel, I'm sorry, I feel comfortable saying he's a top 15 hitter. I mean, pure hitter, he's probably a top 10 hitter. I mean, the skills that he provides, I I, I think it's very hard to replicate. If you, if you have a guy with 40 home run potential, he's typically hitting 230, 240, doesn't walk a lot. He, He provides a profile like that might not give you anything in the outfield, right? Aaron judge gives you pretty much all of those except, you know, he strikes out a lot and that's kind of been his, his issue, but you'll take that when he's walking and you know, his, his barrels are off all, all of that. I I think he's closer to elite than not, but I'm hesitant to suggest that a team is going to buy in long-term based on the fact that he's, you know, plays 110 games every year, you know? I'm struggling. And obviously the Yankees being bad right now is throwing a a total wrench into this because a good Yankees team would be signing Aaron judge probably right now, probably, you know, a year prior to his arbitration, they'd buy out the year and go from there just because he is older. You want to get that out of the way. It's not even, it's not even a conversation point. You know what I mean? And And that to me is the biggest tell that the Yankees internally aren't even saying out loud or, or Yankees beat reporters saying, Hey, it's time to pay this guy. Nobody's saying this. (laughs) <laughs> anywhere. You know what I mean? And and it's getting closer and closer to the time where you either pay a guy or you trade a guy based on, you know, having the the maximum amount of value to get back. Is he Christian Yelich? Seven years, 188 and change? Age 28 when he mm-hmm. signed? Christian Yelich is like a two-time MVP, right? Batting champ? 
Yeah. So I, I Mike, honestly, I have a hard time getting there. Either. Me too. I, too. That's why I'm having this conversation even, with you. Yeah. E- even based on what I've been saying. Um, so let, let's talk about your two comps because I think it falls somewhere in the middle of, of those guys for, for two different reasons. Right. Okay. So I, I, George Springer was the big fish this past off season from a positional standpoint. And, you know, the Mets were in, there were a bunch of big teams in, he, he winds up in Toronto on 150 million. And I believe he was 29 at the time. Is that about right? Or is that high? See, I think that is, I think that is very close for a lot of reasons. Now, George Springer is by the way, he was 31. He was, Springer was 31. So I correct myself. So he would be right. the exact age Aaron judge will, would be if he gets the free agency. So that may be the best comp we can give you. Yeah. I, so I, I tend to believe it'll fall somewhere in between there and your next comp who is Nick Cassianos. Um, which I know people just probably turned off the podcast. (laughs) 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 Nick Cassianos, he's first in extra base base hits in the entire league over the past three seasons, Dan, did you know this? Yeah. And I mean, we've sort of seen this coming. He, I mean, he led the league in doubles when he was on the call. I mean, the Cubs should have, probably should have re-signed him when uh you know when they traded for him that was one of the best trade deadline acquisitions maybe in the last decade but um yeah he's been incredible and the fact that he only got a three-year deal with like not a lot of interest is i mean makes me kind of think there might be more to the whole you know his personality etc but in terms of production the guy produces right so that's why i think judge will like on the low end would get a Nick Castellano style deal with incentives. If he, if he stays healthy and is able to, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, I think he could maybe have a contract with a ceiling of George Springer, but a floor of Nick Castellanos, if that makes sense. No, it does. And look, people out there screaming, well, yeah, what about the home runs? Castellanos hits doubles, not home runs. No, because of missed time, over the past three and a half seasons, Aaron Judge is 28th in home runs. Castellanos is 29th. They're, they're right there neck and neck with each other. I mean, that's just what this is. Now, you alluded to the fact that there's some advanced ratios and advanced stats that favor Judge because of efficiencies. Judge rules those. He's top 10 in almost all of those, Dan. And Castellanos is in the 20s and 30s with those. So there's a, there's a significant increase there. And oh, by the way, there's a, there's a significant increase in defensive war as well. Take that for what you will. That's a metric I threw out here because I know Judge is a pretty damn good right fielder. And I know Castellanos gets knocked for defense. Springer's somewhere in between them. He's kind of an adequate center fielder. He's not great. You know, he's lost a step in his 30s. All that stuff's going to be there. But defense is going to play a role in this in this negotiation. It's not Jason Hayward, right? He's not going to get paid just because he's a good right fielder. But it's not it's not unlike Jason Hayward. You know what I mean? It, it, it's, it's sort of trending in that direction, isn't it, Dan? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So I think we come at a medium point. I think Aaron judge is a hundred million dollar player right now. And anything more than that might be overpaying and anything less than that, maybe, you know, being overly cautious with a player who's had a couple of injuries based on hit by pitch and things like that, you know? Um, But he's not Bryce Harper and he's not Mookie Betts and he's not, I, I'd be absolutely floored if he reset the contract market. 
And, and the only reason, the only possibility way that gets there, Dan, is if the Yankees completely rebound next year in his walk year. And he's the reason why it's sort of the Joe Flacco situation, right? I mean, if, if the Yankees win the world series next year and Aaron judge is the MVP of the Yankees, I guess this has to change because that's just how it works in sports. But as it stands right now, I, I don't think it's terrible to say that he's not a a $150 million player. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. I, that's why I, I personally, if my team were signing them, I would want to see it be an incentive-laden yeah. deal where you produce, we will pay you like an elite player, but you don't. if you can't stay on the field and stay healthy, then, you know, you're, you know, there's a lot of risk from the team perspective, you know, on that note. But in terms of production, at least for the next, let's call it four years, I think you can expect close to elite production while he's on the field. Me too. I think that's right. I mean, if you're going four for, you know, 30, if you're going for four for 120 on Aaron Judge, I think that's okay. It's not crazy. You know, it's probably 30 million a year for that guy, especially if it is a big market, New York, Boston, something that's totally fine. In my opinion, I just think we have to calm ourselves with the fact that that's, this is not the next big guy who's going to reset the market. Is he traded, Dan? Say it again. Is he traded? Yes or no? Not even deadline in the, in the next 12 months is Aaron Judge traded. I, just because I said it and I do feel like it's a legitimate, legitimate thing. I yeah. will say, yes. Yeah. I think he gets traded, but, um, I, where I haven't really come up with a good landing spot for it. Um, I, I just think the Yankees need to do something different and that might be where they start, but you know, I, I could also make a case for them keeping that offense together and, and making a run at it for next year, like you said, and, and maybe judge wouldn't want to go to a different offense and think he, he can maximize his value by staying in New York. So it's kind of a catch 22. I'll go ahead and say, yes, I think he gets, he gets traded before the end of his contract. San Francisco giants, Dan. I like it. And that's a team that's always looking to make yep. a big move. So they love veteran super acquisitions. In, super interesting. Yep. That's the team for me. All right, man. Good stuff. We'll uh, do this again soon and recap some things. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right, my thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription and Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, empowering financial solutions for prospective NBA and NFL draft prospects. MorganStanley.com slash GSE gets you started today. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast.